Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based on the west side of Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictive compulsive behaviors. Welcome to my podcast, named after my recent book and workbook, It's Not About the Sex. Here we have direct and honest conversations related to compulsive sexual behavior and trauma, all from a sexual health perspective. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints and practical strategies toward establishing greater intimacy and a more deeply connected life. Let's begin. Melissa McCracken is a trauma-informed substance abuse counselor currently working at Breathe Life Healing Center as a chemsex program manager. She is a seasoned chemsex counselor and has helped develop a treatment track specific to the needs of those in the LGBTQIA community. Melissa utilizes an experientially based, sex-positive, gay-affirmative approach to recovery from addictive compulsive sexual behaviors. Melissa strives to bring experience, expertise, compassion, and clarity to the counseling process in order to, to maximize outcomes and provide genuine healing and wholeness to the individuals she counsels. I'm so pleased to have Melissa McCracken here with us today. And Melissa also goes by Mel. So if you hear me referencing Mel, it's the same person. So welcome to the podcast once again, Mel. Thank you so much for having me back. I am thrilled to have you with us. And I'm thrilled to have you with us talking about this particular topic, because I think it's a topic that a lot of people do not understand. And what that topic is, is consensual Mm non-monogamy. And so I think a lot of people have ideas about what it is, but I'm wondering if you can start us off and and let us know what consensual non-monogamy really means. Sure. When I think of the idea of consensual non-monogamy, I consider relationships kind of to be agreements with one another, right? Some are romantic agreements, some are sexual agreements, and some are exclusive to one partner, commonly referred to as monogamy. And then there's other types that agree on varying levels of romantic or sexual openness with maybe one or more than one partner, right? And um, it goes under the umbrella term of ethical non-monogamy. However, in the poly community, it's moving towards consensual non-monogamy, right? Mm. Um, So it's just really giving explicit consent to engage in romantic, intimate, or sexual relationships with one or multiple people. Something that I think comes up a lot in in talking about consensual non-monogamy is like, well, mm-hmm. isn't that just cheating? Mm. And I say, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, because there's consent given and everyone is agreed to rules or definitions or boundaries around their relationship. Um, but cheating still can happen. And consensual non-monogamy, even if I've given consent to engage in an open relationship or I'm polyamorous mm-hmm. and I'm going outside of my agreements, mm-hmm. that is actually considered cheating. So there are definitions and there are agreements and there are very clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. So is consensual non-monogamy, which is in itself a tongue twister sometimes, is, is. consensual non-monogamy <laughs> Uh, the same as an open relationship or polyamory? 
Well, I think with consensual non-monogamy, right, uh, an open relationship style is definitely a facet of the, I'm going to abbreviate to CNM term, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And an open relationship style uh, typically refers to a monogamous couple that may have agreed to open up their relationship um, to include other sexual partners and kind of preserving the emotional intimacy or romantic aspects of the relationship for their primary partner. Being polyamorous um, refers to someone who may have multiple partners that are fulfilling different partner needs or roles. Um, it literally translates to many loves, right? Mm, it describes sure. affectional or relational orientations, some kinship systems that may or may not include romance, may or may not include sex. It's kind of a love style. And I, I want to say, like, I think we're technically all kind of poly people. We all have many loves, mm -hmm. right? And, and mm -hmm. we all have agreements um, in our friendships and in our partnerships and our romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. so we're all kind of living a polyamorous lifestyle, but maybe some of us choose to have sexual exclusivity with just a primary partner. If I have children and I have three children, mm -hmm. I have so much love for all of my three kids, right? Right. And I love them all differently. And I, I sometimes I think that culturally we're taught that love is limited and maybe we operate from this place of scarcity or lack or not enoughness and not from abundance or limitlessness, especially when it comes to romance or uh, sexual love. We kind of operate from this place of not enoughness. Mm -hmm. um, but I think polyamorous folks really operate from a space of abundance and limitlessness to mm. love another human. Sure. So they're not they're not quite the same. Right, right. But they're close cousins in a way. They are close cousins, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about monogamy for a moment. So it seems like traditionally monogamy is often seen as the gold standard that that that's the way maybe our culture i can't speak for all cultures but our society here in the states and so there's a question i believe around the idea that is monogamy truly the gold standard or mm -hmm. it has that been historically kind of given to us or or taught to us as maybe the 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 right thing to do somehow as if there's a right or wrong yeah i i mean it is transmitted i mean from a very early age if you look at any disney movie for instance right i mean right there like you know it's very cis heteronormative and you know mononormative that like princess meets prince and they live happily ever after and there's mm -hmm. never any problems or any challenges within that relationship if you meet the one I think that is something that has been passed down in America, right, uh, for a very, very long time. There are other cultures out there who believe in like community living and community love. Mm -hmm. And that's how they kind of base their relationships. But mm. for us, we're kind of fed this idea of monogamy being the gold standard, monogamy being the goal. And if I'm not in an exclusive relationship, therefore, I, I'm unlovable or unsafe or, you know, there, there's a 
a lot of different ideas that really come with monogamy. Um, mm -hmm. And for some people that works and that's fantastic. And I'm so happy that you're in that. And for other people, you know, being poly or being in an open relationship may be something that works, but monogamy is kind of spoon fed, you know, from beauty mm -hmm. to beast all the way up. Sure, sure. Yeah. Maybe even back to Lady and the Tramp or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, we're like, way back. just dialing it all the way back. Exactly. Uh, so I think what is so vital about this conversation is that we're going to be talking about how this all fits in, into the sexual recovery community, meaning mm -hmm. those in recovery from sexual compulsivity. And so can people who are in sexual recovery pursue CNM relationships? Or is that an excuse somehow to, to act out compulsively with mm -hmm. multiple partners? Right, right. I think it's a combination of both. For some folks, they use it as an excuse to kind of act out compulsively with various different partners. And I think you can actually pursue a CNM relationship if that's something that you feel like you identify with or that might work for you as a relational style. Um, when I think of people who struggle with sexual compulsion, there's a lot, lot of different facets to this, right? Dishonesty, mistrust, fear, manipulation, coercion. Like the, these are opposite mm -hmm. of what it means to be in a consensual non-monogamous relationship mm -hmm. um, because those only work with like trust, openness, honesty, transparency, and people who are in an addictive cycle um, most likely are going to be missing either one or all of those requirements to be in mm -hmm. a consensually open relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think people who are active in like sexual compulsive compulsivity mm -hmm. are good candidates <laughs> for uh open or poly relationship right um you have to have a solid foundation in recovery that's you know definitely built on establishing trust with another human being mm -hmm. open about what you're up to uh being transparent living through honesty um and really having strong communication skills right? Mm -hmm. Like being mm -hmm. able to talk about things openly uh, with a partner or with many partners and not hide or be secretive or dishonest about any of those behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, trust and honesty are like, you know, the top two tenets mm -hmm. of consensual non-monogamy. And if I'm active in compulsive behaviors, mm -hmm. then I'm definitely not going to be aligned with some of the tenets of CNM. Sure. So say more about someone who has been in recovery for many years uh -huh. and who has that foundation underneath them. How would you speak to them if they were exploring what CNM was to them? I think that's a really good question. And I think the first thing I would want to ask is like, what does commitment mean to you? Like, what does it mean to be committed? Right. And mm -hmm. if you're in a place of knowing yourself, you've done a lot of work around building esteem, not relying on validation from others and uh, building your own self-confidence. Um, I, I think those conversations really are going to begin with one, probably someone who can help you along the way. And then two, even introducing this idea into a partnership would be you have to move with appreciation for the partnership. Uh, reassurance, um, affirming how important the relationship is to you, 
Mm -hmm. Um, I think those aspects are really great places to start a conversation. And if if it's new territory for you, listen, there's going to be some ups and downs, right? There might be some hurt feelings that you might need to learn how to listen to your partner a little bit more about Mm -hmm. what feels reassuring for them around the relationship. Because even beginning the conversation, you really want to establish if you're in a partnership that the relationship is not being threatened, right? Right. Because that's, that's when people kind of go into activation or fight or flight is when they feel like their relationship might be threatened. So Mm -hmm. long conversations, heart, like attunement, like just Mm -hmm. really opening up a heart space and um, expressing delight or how important a primary relationship may be. And if Mm -hmm. you're operating from a place of solo polyamory and you want to have multiple partners and your reliance is on the self, not on the other people. Mm-hmm. I'm not relying on this person to provide me a sense of self-worth. I'm not relying on this person to validate me as a human being. I'm not getting my value from anywhere else, but on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm still honest and transparent with my partners on the outside. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing a few things. I, I believe what what you're sharing, which is so important for our listeners to understand, is that it really takes a lot of soul searching individually and as a couple to have these truly open, honest conversations mm-hmm. and to share from the heart what one's wants and desires truly are mm-hmm. and to be able to really listen to one another, to really try and reach some kind of deeper mutual understanding which mm-hmm. doesn't imply agreement necessarily, mm-hmm. but initially some deeper mutual understanding. But I think it's interesting because having been in programs since the mid nineties, I never heard these words back then. I'm, I'm dating myself, but, but consensual non-monogamy, polyamory, were not in the language back then. And exclusivity and monogamy were really what we were spoon fed, I believe. Right. Um, not in a, Uh, necessarily malicious way, but it was just the norm of the time. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying is you're you're opening up the aperture and saying, what else can we talk about so that you don't limit yourself? Because really, this is a sexual health conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I love what you said about not limiting yourself. And listen, I'm a person in recovery. And um, sometimes in recovery programs, there is this old idea of rigidity around relationships. And Mm -hmm. if you're not in a monogamous relationship, especially in sexual recovery, then Mm -hmm. you're not in recovery, right? Right. You know what I mean? You're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah, There's this idea that kind of boxes people in, which I mean, maybe I'm a person that identifies as a polyamorous person and I'm also in sexual recovery and I might walk into a room Mm-hmm. and see that I have to be either in a relationship or following a strict dating plan, maybe that doesn't work for me. I really I really think shining a light on so many different relationship styles is really important, especially for those out there uh, that might feel that way. Right. And you just teed off the next question about relationship styles. So great. What, what are some of the most common relationship styles within consensual non-monogamy? Right. So, I mean, the most common is definitely like an open relationship, Okay. Right? which is 
I am in a monogamous committed relationship, um, but maybe I say we can sleep with other people, right? And this is where, this is a pitfall that I see actually in the population that I work with a lot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is people may be in a monogamous relationship and they've decided to open it up and, you know, you and your partner are able to sleep with other people and it's consensual, but there's no boundaries around that and mm -hmm. it hasn't been defined, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, if I, we haven't discussed the who, what, when, where's, and whys of it, like, how am I meeting people? Where is it appropriate to meet people? Can I bring someone home? Can I not bring someone home? And then what I will see is like, oh, you were off on a business trip. You know, I brought someone over to our home. And because that hasn't kind of been discussed, there's there's really no agreement on the openness of our relationship. Hmm. Aware of it, I might feel hurt, right? Because mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody in my home. Right. So that that's that's one of the more common pitfalls I would see, but open relationships, especially when there's agreements around it, mm -hmm. are one of the top. Um, monogamish. I love this one. <laughs> and savage, right? We hear this a lot. Long-term committed couples who occasionally want to play with others um, without maintaining the relationship, right? There's no emotional connection. There's no romantic connection. Uh -huh. It may be purely for sex, right? But I'm invested in my committed monogamy. Um, mm -hmm. so there's some trust issues around that, but again, like if you're clear about the who, what, where's and when's of it all, like then, you know, it's a lot easier. Swinging is another one. I think about mm -hmm. that one too, right? Couples who play together, stay together. I'm sure we've heard that before. So this would be couples who go out and date or couples who go out and engage in sexual activity with others. Right. Uh -huh. But not individually. Mm -hmm. if we're swinging we're doing it together we're not doing it solo mm -hmm. if we're open we may be doing it solo so Got it. and those are some of the most common and then poly as well sure sure mm -hmm. so you mentioned jealousy i think and that's mm -hmm. always a question that that pops up around this this whole arena so what what about the jealousy factor jealousy is going to come up especially if you're looking into opening a relationship or engaging any sort of uh, polyamory lifestyle right and it, it jealousy i like to just really define that for a second especially when we're talking about sexual or romantic relationships it's a threat to connection like it's actually it's rooted in fear like i'm mm -hmm. scared you're gonna leave me i'm scared you're gonna abandon me um, I'm scared you might reject me if you find somebody new. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in dealing with jealousy, of course, like that is a, that's the internal regulation that starts mm -hmm. first. Like I see you talking to another person, jealousy pops up and I'm able to kind of regulate my own sense of jealousy mm -hmm. and kind of calm my own fear. And then maybe talk to you about it later. And it might look like I need more reassurance from you. Um, or there might be an unmet need, like, hey, you know, you said you were going to save this time for me, and then you made a coffee date with somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So I may need maybe more attention or assurance, or maybe we need to revisit our agreement if it's something that continuously comes up. Mm -hmm. But the jealousy factor will be in there. Jealousy is a natural human emotion. Every mm -hmm. animal on the planet feels jealousy. <laughs> so we've all experienced that at one point or another um it is going to be more common though when you are in a cnm relationship so mm -hmm. 
removing external triggers, defining your relationship, revisiting definitions around the relationship as jealousy pops up, right? If I'm continuously triggered, a CNM relationship may not be for me. It's all around fear. It's all rooted in fear. Yeah. I, I would even go as far as saying that it's rooted in terror sometimes, Some depending on one's background and possible traumas, et cetera, mostly developmental or relational. But yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I was also thinking as you were talking that jealousy can be addressed from, from various angles. It can be worked on individually. It can be worked on in the couple or it can be worked on in both. I mean, what do you, what do you think, Mel? The best way to approach that is definitely both, right? Like, and talk about it, Mm -hmm. be open about it. Don't try and hide it. If you feel jealous and you're hiding it and you're kind of pushing it down, that's only going to increase the threat, the fear, the terror. But hopefully if you're considering a CNM relationship and if you are in a partnership, um, you are already kind of standing in a truth and a connection with your partner that you would feel safe enough to tell them, hey, I experienced jealousy when I saw you pick up the phone or talk to this person. Um, but it is, trust is the main line of all of this, right? For sure. I established trust. Mm-hmm. And with trust, I'm able to talk about the hard stuff like jealousy. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I say both on that one, individually yeah. and together. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The more, the, the more, the better. Yes, please bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if someone... Um, wants to begin to talk to their partner about open relationship styles, what, how would you advise them? Slowly, do it slowly, mm-hmm. right? Maybe just, you don't wanna really drop hints. Do you know what I mean? Cause that actually might create a heightened sense of uh, arousal in mm-hmm. another person like, oh, they're gonna leave me. Mm-hmm. So I think actually maybe sitting down and having some light conversations about like, Hey, I was reading this book. Polysecure is one of my favorite books to read about CNM relationships. But, mm. and it really, it sparked interest in me. Like, is this something you've ever considered? Or would you like to read a little bit of it with me? But going in lightly with the conversation um, be, before any sort of boundaries or definitions around it, you don't want to just jump into like, oh yeah, we can be open now. Mm-hmm. Discussing like terms of what that means and like how I would feel about certain things and really being very open and communicative, Mm -hmm. not rushing it. Sure. Is there a certain clarity that, that someone might um, require within themselves before they bring it to their partner or do they just start to talk about it as they learn? Well, Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to, you know, trust in the relationship. And as I'm learning about something, I don't know about you, I read a good book and I want to, I want to go tell my person about it. I'm like, oh my God, read this paragraph, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it actually, it can be a path that people maybe walk in their togetherness. And if we're slowly starting conversations and I want to share things that are of interest to me with my person. So I think if the relationship is safe enough and you are committed to the relationship, I don't think there's anything you can't talk about. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And I, I wonder if you're referring to doing that at home on their own or in a therapist or a counselor's office. I think bringing things like uh, this up um, 
there's a lot of fear that comes with it. So maybe having another person there to kind of mediate the conversation, especially if someone is in a lot of fear about how their partner may react or hurting their feelings or a rupture in trust, I, I think it might be a good idea to do it with another person present. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are pretty secure in your own identification um, and you have maybe a good partnership in which you can communicate with them, I, I think you probably could do it at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Depends on the relationship. I mean, it, sure. really, it really does. Yeah, it's such tender material. And and I really see it as an opportunity for closeness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, inevitably, there will be hurt and disappointment and, and ruptures. But, but ultimately, I think there's something very exciting in, in a way in terms of the honesty and the potential to, to really be fully oneself. Right. And this is a deeper level of intimacy, right? There, there's a lot of exposure that comes with what you just said yeah. and inviting uh, my partner or partners into that space of intimacy and right. deepening our connection in this way of vulnerability mm-hmm. um, only increases our bond. It doesn't decrease the bond. It increases right. the bond. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Mel, you mentioned boundaries and definitions before. Can you talk a little bit more at length about what you mean by that? Yeah. Boundaries and definitions are so important, right? And and it's not just like the who, what, when, where's. It's like physical limitations. Like if I am a poly person and I have relationships with seven people, I might be a little exhausted at the end at the end of a week. So it's really like, what are your limitations? Mm-hmm. And being explicit about those with your partner, mm-hmm. with your partners. And also like what's okay and what's not okay. Right. If I have an agreement, I'm going to bring this up, although I definitely have feelings about it. A lot of folks have this one penis policy, like where you can do anything else with another person as long as there's not penetration. Right. Mm. Which is kind of like in this hierarchy power dynamic, like telling me what to do with my body, like no body autonomy. Right. Sure. So one of your physical limitations might be my body is mine. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I choose mm-hmm. to do with that is not going to be dictated by you. Mm-hmm. And there's emotional limitations. Like, how much can I tolerate, even going back to jealousy? Mm-hmm. Like, if jealousy is something that's intolerable for me. I need to know my own limitations within myself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not exceed those just to please you. And, right. and I see a lot of partners do that actually, mm-hmm. go past their own line emotionally and then not be able to manage the flood that's happening. And then there's usually a rupture, right? There's a rupture of trust mm-hmm. in the relationship, but that's because I've gone past my point of comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then safety, right? Sexual health. Like how, how are we checking in on sexual safety? Regular mm-hmm. STI checks, like all, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, important boundaries around who to tell. Mm-hmm. Who are we telling that we're in an open relationship? Who am I telling that I in polyamorous like because there are a lot of ideas and there's a lot of stigma around it if monogamy is the gold star in the culture and i'm outside (laughs) on the edges here then there might be some ridicule or there might be some judgment from other people so Mm -hmm. really defining who you want to tell who is trustworthy and um also who not to see 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to see my partner's best friend. That right. seems appropriate, right? Like, who are we not seeing? Who is off mm-hmm. the table? I'm not going to see your boss at work. No, I'm not going to see my ex, right? Because there's probably an emotional connection there. And mm-hmm. if we open a relationship that's just around sex or sexuality, going to exes is usually problematic. So mm-hmm. deal breakers, call them deal breakers. For sure. Yeah. As as you were talking about limitations, the word capacity kept on popping in for me that mm-hmm. we're talking about limitations and definitions and boundaries, but we're also talking about our own capacity and and how sometimes it, it grows mm-hmm. as part of the exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think like <clears throat> visiting this, especially with your partner or partners, um, is really important because like mm-hmm. you said, my emotional limitations actually may expand or they may contract. And, and it's just revisiting all of these things um, to make sure we're kind of on the same page with one another. Yeah, I love that you said that. Again, if somebody was asking you this question, so how do I manage relationships once I've opened up mm-hmm. and and engaged in, in a poly practice? Mm-hmm. You know, two things. One, I want to bring in the idea of between care, right? Um, in the kink community, aftercare is a big thing. I'm I'm tending to someone, I'm checking in with someone, I'm attuning to someone. And that is like, you know, after the scene and after the session, right? There's aftercare. And mm. I think once you've opened up a relationship or you're engaged in polyamory, it, it's going to be about between care. Like mm. at first you may need a weekly check-in, a daily check-in with mm-hmm. another person. And then it, it, you know, that may grow too. And then it's a monthly check-in. But I love to use Janet Fern's model of hearts, right? To to check in. It's like you have a date, you have a time. This is where our relationship conversation takes place on Sundays at 5 p.m. Right. Mm-hmm. And on that Sunday at 5 p.m., I'm here, I'm present, I'm fully giving you my attention. There are no distractions. My mm-hmm. phone is put away. Mm-hmm. There's eye contact. I'm listening. I I'm being empathetic, right? And and I'm really um tuned in to maybe what my partner needs to share with me. Mm-hmm. And that's the H is just being here and present. The E is expressing delight. What do you love about the relationship? What do you love about the person? What was so awesome when you made me coffee on Tuesday when I was running late? Like really bringing in the delightful appreciative side of the relationship. A attunement we're attuning to one another right this is our emotional bond especially if i'm talking about my primary person i really want to attune to their emotional needs Mm -hmm. right and and just listening not trying to jump in or problem solve just really showing genuine interest right what the person is saying right and that that goes across the board in partnership friendships romantic relationships um and then rituals and routines that's the r Mm. this is our time like we go to see a movie every Wednesday night we have dinner every Friday night and being sure to be consistent and reliable in Mm. those rituals and routines no matter you know if I have a new partner that maybe I want to go out with I'm still adhering to our rituals and routines because that's our Mm. time that's Mm -hmm. that's specific to us that's sacred and really honoring that and um reliability and consistency are some of the building blocks of trust and then turning towards each other at con- during conflict is the tea 
Mm. John Gottman, right? Like, <laughs> right. Love the Gottman Institute. Uh-huh. If there are problems, we can turn towards each other and we can talk about it and we're able to repair and resolve conflict. If you are considering polyamory, if you are considering a consensually non-monogamous relationship and you don't have conflict resolution skills and you turn away from your partnerships when that happens, that's going to rupture trust. Just turning towards each other. And then, you know, the S of it all is just being secure in you and Mm -hmm. doing things to build your self-esteem, doing things to build your self-confidence, like engaging in your own therapeutic practices or, you know, program practices, whatever, whatever that may look like, Mm -hmm. just continuing to build your own intimate relationship with yourself right? Cultivating self-intimacy. Um, and that that's going to kind of help mitigate a reliance on another person, right? Because you're building your own internal esteem and you're not relying on others' esteem. Sure. Yeah. So I that's love great. that. Oh, it's great. Beautiful. It's yeah. Yeah. Oh. And is, is that part of a book? Because I was just going to ask you, do you have any good book recommendations? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I love Polysecure. Uh, which is uh, Janet Fern's first book. And it really goes, the beginning of the book is really on attachment theory and how we attach to one another in relationships. Mm. And then more towards the end of the book, we're really looking into, you know, boundaries, definitions, agreements, and and how to be more present in our relationships and Mm. how to continue to build intimacy through, you know, consensual non-monogamy. So Holly Secure is one of those. How do you spell the author's last name? Uh, fern f-e-r-n oh just like the plant just like the plant yes <laughs> cool okay <laughs> my favorite so, plants too poly secure by fern. yeah okay yeah. what else and the, the ethical slut right that's kind oh. of an og um when we were back with using the term ethical non-monogamy um but that also is a fantastic dive into open relationships swinging polyamory i mm. uh, totally recommend that one and, you know, Janet Fern actually just came up with her sophomore book, mm. uh, Holly Wise, which goes more mm. into relational theory, uses a lot of John Gottman um, to help continue to define open or consensually non-monogamous relationships. Mm. Yeah. So she's really on the growing edge. She's on the, she's the, <laughs> yeah, she's definitely on the edge of that. Beautiful. But, I would say the ethical slut kind of opened up the doors. Okay. okay. Yeah. For people to begin exploring different relationship types. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So based on our talk today, because we do need to wind down in a moment, but I'm wondering if there was maybe one or two things that you would really like our listeners to take with them. If this is something maybe that um, you're drawn to or you have interest in, be very slow in your process of inquiry move through it slowly. Don't be like, this is it and jump into it. Especially if you're in a partnership, gather Mm -hmm. all the information, read all the books, really do uh, an honest self-appraisal, especially if you're in sexual recovery. Am I doing this as a part of my compulsive system? This feels attractive to that part of me? Or am I really actually drawn to this because I admire, appreciate, and desire multiple relationships in my life? So just honest, accurate self-appraisal and trust, understand trust. You can understand multiple relationships. So I guess those are probably the couple of things I'd want people to explore. This has been so helpful. 
because we actually haven't talked at all about this topic. I think maybe it got touched on by a few people, but this is the first time we spent an, a, a complete episode. And um, I don't know if you know, but we just um, passed 100 podcast episodes. Yeah. And <laughs> the thing I want to say is that you're a breath of fresh air. And it's so helpful because I think there is so much misunderstanding out there. And and you were so clear and direct about how people can learn about this whole area of themselves. Mm -hmm. So I so appreciate you being here. And I may have to invite you back again. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Mm -hmm. It's always it's always a pleasure to be here and to talk about stuff that I'm just incredibly passionate about. Like relationships are the foundation of being a human being. And so I think when we have deep conversations around them, it really just ignites something in my heart. So thank you for having me back. My pleasure. Take good care, Mel. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. It was so wonderful sharing the time with my colleague and friend, Mel McCracken, and discussing this really significant topic of consensual non-monogamy. If you're so inclined, please give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with those who may benefit. I look forward to you joining us next time. And don't forget to stay connected. Mm-hmm.